I'd like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. Today we have the pleasure of having Mrs. Angela Fisher Hall, uh, and she is the Regional Librarian and Program Director, and also Mr. Tim Emans, and he is a Read Advisor. And uh, our guests are from the Alabama Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. And at this point, I'd like to hand it back over. Mrs. Hall, if you would introduce yourself. Well, hello, Alex, and thank you so much for this opportunity. I have been here at the Alabama Regional Library for about four years, just over four years, and I have had about 37 years in library service. This is my first time reading, uh, uh, working rather, at a library that provides such a wonderful service as this. And even though I've lived here in Alabama and I've worked in libraries in Alabama, I did not fully understand the extent of this service. So I'm very happy to be here. And uh, that's uh, basically uh, where I'm coming from at this particular point. But this job has been a wonderful um, and eye-opening experience for me. And I'm just glad to be here to provide this service to the residents of Alabama. Well, we appreciate you being here with us. And um, are you originally from Alabama? I am, I'm from the Birmingham area. Uh, that's where I grew up and spent most of my life there. I've only lived in Mobile for two years and now here in Montgomery for about three actually. And so uh, Birmingham is still home uh, if you ask me, uh, but Montgomery is growing on me a great deal. Yes. Yeah. Birmingham is home for us uh, just outside in McCullough. So, uh, and only being right. here for a few years, we still have to explore the area. There's a lot that Alabama has natural beauty just outside. Oh, very much. And Mr. Emmons, if you would introduce yourself. Yes, I'm Timothy Emmons and I work with the Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped here in Montgomery. I've been here for 15 years as a reader advisor, and I work also with the technology in our BARD Braille and Audio Reading Download Program. And I'm, I'm like Angela, I'm happy to be here to be able to serve, serve our community and provide this, this service and do what we do. I really, really enjoy it and would be lost, I think, not only as a, as a, as a, a librarian, but also as a patron. I started out as a patron and never dreamed I would end up where I'm at. So it's, it's pretty fun. I imagine that there are people that you serve that are very grateful that you've gone through some of the uh, things that can help them and kind of lead them through their for, through personal experience. Yes, sir. It, it's it's a, a, an eye opener for, for them and, and for me for, you know, sometimes when I, you know, get get wrapped up in how crazy things get, I have to remember that, you know, sometimes there are some of those, some of folks out there that are just becoming blind or visually impaired or, or losing, you know, an ability or whatever. And being able to provide that service and say, I've been there or I'm there now, you know, it, it, it brightens their day. And it brightens my day that I've made their day even, you know, even better to know that there's somebody that's in the same boat as it were. Yeah. And to have that connection. Yeah. Now, I want to take a little bit of a step back. Mrs. Hall, if you would introduce us to what the Alabama Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped is and maybe some of that history. Well, certainly. And Alex, let me say that the Alabama Regional Library operates under several umbrellas. Uh, the biggest for the service that we provide is the National Library Service. And to tell you just a little bit about that history, uh, back in 1930, there were two members of Congress who uh, presented 
different bills that had to do with the same aspect of service. Uh, they were both interested in providing some regular ongoing service to adults who were blind. And so uh, our uh, Congress people, uh, Representative Ruth uh, Sears Baker Pratt and Senator Reed Smoot, in 1930, they presented a bill uh, one in the Senate and the other in the House, uh, to uh, provide this kind of service. In 1931, uh, the bill actually became law, and it was known as the, I have to always look, the Pratt-Smoot Act. I have to make sure I have those names in just the right order. Uh, but the Pratt-Smoot Act actually created the National Library Service. It provided funding an allocation each year that would come from Congress. And at that time in 1930, the allocation was about $100,000. And for so- For the entire nation. Yes, for the entire nation. And uh, the idea was to have a single source of material that could be provided to adults who were blind. And so in 1931, this actually began. Uh, the National Library Service is a division of the Library of Congress. And as such, they provide this service free of charge to any adult, well, to any individuals who qualify for the service. And over the years, uh, the service has changed. It includes more people uh, to include children. And also now it includes individuals who might have physical disabilities. Uh, disabilities such as Parkinson's disease or individuals who've suffered a stroke and may not have use of their arms. Uh, and uh, this service is now available to any individuals who uh, might have vision loss, a vision impairment, who might be blind, or who might have a physical disability that prevents them from reading regular print. Now in about 1958, this service originally for individuals who lived in Alabama, uh, this service was provided through a school in Georgia. And so in 1958, it actually moved over to Alabama uh, to the uh, campus of the Alabama Institute for Deaf and Blind. And our Talladega, what's now our Talladega Sub-Regional Library is still there. However, in 1978, our building opened here. We operate under the umbrella of the Alabama Public Library Service. We are a division of that agency and our employees are all state employees, uh, but we provide this service from our building here in Montgomery. And together with the folks in Talladega, we serve residents in all 67 of Alabama counties. Talladega serves three of those counties. They serve Calhoun, St. Clair and Talladega County. And for the rest of the people in the state of Alabama, they get their uh, material from here in Montgomery. And we serve both a, a Braille population or a Braille reading population, and also individuals who might enjoy audio books. And this is reading a different way. Some people still say they're listening. However, we do understand that the same parts of the brain are used uh, to, to read uh, when you're listening to an audio book as, as as it would be if you had a hard print copy of a book in your hand. So overall, that's the history of our organization. And since uh, those early days in 1930, when the service first started with an allocation of maybe $100,000, uh, today the allocation from Congress is about $49 million. Uh, that only covers our audio and braille books. And then we also have a contract with the, or the National Library Service has a contract with the US Postal Service uh, to actually mail this material directly to the homes of our residents throughout the country. 
And you mentioned, I was going to ask about locations there, and you mentioned it is statewide um, and Talladega services, about three counties, you said, and then the Montgomery location services, the rest of the state. What does that look like for individuals that you serve? Is it a lot of in-person where they're traveling or is it more over the phone and through the mail? Well, it's basically through the mail. Uh, That's how our service works. Uh, The material is mailed directly to the home address of individuals who use our service. And also over the phone, uh, we get a number of phone calls uh, from individuals who uh, want to call and place orders for books or if they're having problems with their service, maybe their digital player, which is uh, one of these items I have over here on my table, maybe their player is no longer working. And so we send them another one. Uh, But all of those things happen here uh, from our office in Montgomery. And we provide, in addition to uh, helping them with questions and getting more books, we also provide, as Tim mentioned, he's a reader advisor. And we have three librarians who provide that service. So if individuals want other authors who write just like Danielle Steele, uh, then um, Mike Coleman, Tim Ammons, and Amanda Trawick, they help to direct patrons to that. And then we have uh, other staff members, about four others, who help with the daily mailing of material. And so uh, we handle about 300 items each morning that need to go out to our patrons. And just as many items come in each day or are returned from our patrons to us. You guys are a well-run machine there. (laughs) Well, we try to be. We have to stay on top. Our patrons expect nothing less. Goodness, yes, yes. And see, we're, we're like the Pandora of, of reading just about it. We're that human algorithm. They like it, and we send them, we, we try to hit along the things that they like, or they, you know, they don't like something, we, we adjust that, and we, you know, we work to make sure they, they get what they need. I'm going to kind of jump around in some of the questions here. Uh, Mr. Emmons, um, if you would talk a little bit about maybe the difference from audiobook to Braille, I know that you guys provide those two different services, uh, what is the difference there? And what do you see the majority of the people that you serve are interested in? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, there, there for a while, you know, there was, a, there was a, 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 a tight line between Braille and audio. You know, you had some that liked it, maybe you had some that liked the audio. Um, and then now, because of convenience and new technology and things, People like the audio, but they're gravitating again towards the Braille uh, because Braille, they like that hard copy feel. Braille is a, it's a bigger, bigger item. The books are bulkier. One book, one John Grisham book can be five or six books, you know, in general, you know, for yeah. that one book, so five or six volumes. So it's a larger, but they prefer, sometimes they like that hard copy paper feel of holding that book, of running their fingers through, through, you know, over that Braille and receiving that. But then there are those, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. I'm a, I've been a Braille reader all my life, but I've discovered or rediscovered audio because I can do other things and listen to books as well. And I'm an avid, avid reader. And so it's, it's interesting. It fluctuates, but a lot of people, you know, with, you know, with everything, it kind of, it kind of goes in, goes and comes, but one of the things that has also brought Braille back into the forefront are Braille displays. I don't know if you can see my display that I have in my hand. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can, I've got it in, in the camera line there. <laughs> Just up a little bit higher, maybe. Yep. Okay. So I can that see the device is, there. 
Okay. And there are dots on the, the line there. I don't know if you can see the dots move as I advance the display. But there are Braille, Braille displays are a digital Braille display that shows Braille text one line at a time that corresponds to the text on your screen, on the screen of your phone, your tablet, or computer. And a lot of people have rediscovered of rediscovering Braille in the format that it's digital Braille. Hmm. So they're able to carry those five and six volumes of Braille as one book on a tablet that holds tons of books. And I can yeah. either use this, this unit as a standalone or it will connect to other things via Bluetooth. I can connect it to my phone and it will connect to our application that we use to download Braille and audiobooks called BARD, BARD Mobile. And it will allow you to read books from our collection in Braille. And people are rediscovering this and are really excited uh, here. Soon there will be, you know, there will be Braille displays that will be available uh, through NLS and the National Library Service that will allow our Braille patrons to have that same portability all across, you know, across the, the, the board there. And now, currently, a lot of our Braille and audio has to be mailed through the mail. But with these, these types of devices, you don't have to wait on the mail. You pretty much can get those as you can with, with using your Kindle app or your, you know, whatever book app you prefer to read with. You can get those at any time now. And yeah, to that's... have that in Braille, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's freeing. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. When you, when you presented that, I was thinking of like a Kindle, you know, you could carry around a Kindle with you and have all these books on it, but to have that tactile feedback through that device is on a different level. And while you were going through that, it reminded me of a book that I'd read a while back called the Gutenberg galaxy. And the, the gist of the book was basically the media is the message. So if you were to read a book or listen to a book, you might come away with something different, meaningful, or it might sink in different. But right. to be able to do that in two ways um, really allows you to absorb that information how you want to. It does. And I've noticed a, a big trend, a big thing that a lot of people are doing, and I've discovered myself doing this. And I didn't, I didn't give it much thought until I actually found myself doing it and was like, wow, when did I wait so long to do this? But... Kindle had introduced a little technique called immersive reading, where they give you the Kindle book. You can buy the Audible book, and it will sync it, and you read, or whatever. Well, I thought, well, hmm, that's interesting. Well, I, I've had patrons that will actually order the hard copy Braille book, and then come back behind that and order the audio book and get it both ways, all simultaneously. So mm -hmm. they're, they're reading it and listening. And it's, it's a whole different way. And sometimes I find myself really getting into a book more um, doing it that way, whether it's with hard copy and audio or audio and then the Braille in front of me on the display, whether that's from, um, you know, the Kindle and, and Audible or if it's from our BARD service and, you know, getting the, the, the Braille copy that way and reading it together. Um, it's, it's a whole different way of looking at it. And a lot of people are rediscovering that and finding that's another and that's kind of breathing life back into Braille in a different way, I think, than, than, it, than it first began. And a lot of these broadcasts, um, I'm always you know, taken back by the technology or the different services mm -hmm. uh, that have come about for people that need them. And then to the next level, how those things impact and help people of the greater population. And just when you were going through that, maybe think, well, 
would this help people that are just starting out to read at a younger age? If they're reading their book and then they're also hearing it at the same time or their braille and they're hearing it at mm -hmm. the same time would reinforce that, that reading literacy. I've seen uh, so, that and we have that a lot of happen a lot to happen where you know there are braille readers that are either polishing back up on their braille reading or they're just starting and they're getting a feel for you know that you know reading that way and they have that audio as a as a backup support and it it cements a lot of a lot of that and it's it's interesting to see both of those kind of combined together now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'd like to switch it back. Mrs. Hall, I'd like to go more to the structural there. You said that somebody needs to qualify for these services. And if yes. you could take us through uh, what qualification means and then what that process would look like. Well, first of all, Alex, let me say that this is a wonderful service. And once people find out about it, they're really interested in getting more information. And when they see the material and the quality of it, they really are interested in having the service. And so we have to make sure that the service is actually provided for the audience it was intended for. So in order to qualify, individuals do, uh, our application process is very simple. Uh, this is a very brief four page application and it basically gets information about the reader, the individual and what kind of books they want to read. But on the uh, second page, there's a short space where this application has to be certified by someone who's familiar with the condition of the applicant. Now, this can either be a medical doctor, it could be a social worker, uh, because we work with a number of other agencies throughout the state of Alabama to get individuals signed up for this. And there are social workers out there who work for the Department of Rehab Services, or maybe with the Institute for Deaf and Blind. And so they help to get individuals registered for our service. Once we receive this application, then the application is processed here in our building. And right away, we began to send out material to the individuals who apply. And so that's what we mean by certification process. And even librarians in our public libraries throughout the state who come into contact with those readers who over the years, they know that they are voracious readers. However, their vision is starting to slip and they aren't reading as much as they used to. Librarians can also qualify or certify individuals for this service and get them signed up for it. And so that's what the certification process is. It's very simple. It doesn't take very long. And we depend on other agencies, even our Veterans Administration. They also help to get a number of veterans signed up for this service. So that's what we mean by certification. Yeah, I think a lot of people when they hear certification, they think of going in, getting tested, um, and it can be a little overwhelming because they've been through some of that stuff before, but that doesn't seem oh, like yes. a very invasive qualification that you guys have. It's very open. We're not that daunting. Definitely. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and a number of uh, ophthalmologists and optometrists, they also have information about our agencies in their offices. And so they share them uh, with patrons or, or with individuals who might qualify. And additionally, uh, there are a number of adults out there who now find themselves struggling with macular degeneration or glaucoma or other conditions brought about by diabetes and things of that nature. And so uh, they are introduced to this service by their medical providers. And so that helps us tremendously. But we found that uh, the National Federation of the Blind, uh, they do surveys on a regular basis. However, in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 2016, uh, that was the last date of a statistical survey they did. And they found that there are about 150,000 
individuals here in Alabama who are visually impaired. Now, right now with our library in Talladega and the groups that we serve here in Montgomery, we serve about 8,000 people in the state. So with a number like 150,000 that are out there that might qualify for our service, we are only reaching a small group of people right now. Uh, but uh, through uh, outlets such as yours, Alabama Care, we're able to reach even more audiences and let people know about this service. And as Tim mentioned, uh, with our, our, the uh, types of material that we have available, we have Braille and we have audiobooks. Uh, but uh, we have about 200 people that we serve with Braille here in Montgomery. And of that number in Talladega, it might even be larger because they're on the campus of the school. And so there are a number of children who are learning Braille uh, from, I, I think, Tim, we discussed about the age group is about five or six years old when they actually- Right, from about five on, on up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, and one thing I wanna mention, Tim mentioned the uh, Braille that we have available and we do have the regular volumes of Braille, but we also have what we call print Braille. Now, this is a volume that a family could read together uh, because it has not only the illustrations and it also has a printed text, but there's a braille overlay that you can fill. And a child or a parent could go ahead and learn how to fill those bumps and that introduces them to braille and the family can share a story together. And so we have a wonderful collection of print braille. Mm -hmm. So not only are these used for families to learn braille together, but also our adults uh, who are learning braille for the first time, uh, they are finding these books very useful. And so print braille is also available in addition mm -hmm. to our regular braille. And so uh, that is available for anyone who uh, wants to learn Braille. And so That's we have that thing. available. When you bring that up, I imagine a family just sitting down, like kind of cozying into bed and wanting to have a nighttime story and maybe a son or daughter um, that is wanting to learn and having some visually uh, impairments there and learning Braille and to go through that. Uh, that's it's awesome. Really cool. Yeah. My son is seven and I used to read, I was reading to him that way a lot. Now he tells me he can read it on his own, but he, uh, we would cozy down at night and I would read to him and he thought it was the greatest thing. And a lot of them now describe the pictures that he sees on the page. And so I would be able to interact with him and ask him, you know, what, what color are the fruits in the window? Or do you see that cat over in the corner? What's that cat doing? And he, we would be able to interact together that way. I was going to ask this a little bit later, but I, it brings it up now. If there is a book, let's say I'm in college and I have a textbook um, and it's like a chemistry textbook um, and that book is transcribed to either audio or Braille, how do I see um, like that there's an atom in a physics book or, you know, a cell? How does that picture get transcribed? That's, it's really hard to, sometimes they will draw what are called uh, Braille tactile graphs or tactile images, which are the images that you see, but they raise them, they make them out of raised dots and lines. And so you're able to see the shape of those atoms or the shape of, of that, you know, that, that particular chemical compound or whatever. Uh, and then a lot of times if you can't convey that, then they'll describe in pretty, you know, pretty clear text what that's supposed to be. A lot of times, especially now with the technology being what it is, they're, they're getting into more graphics and a lot more tactile images. Even some of our Braille books that, because we currently 
specialize in bestsellers and in regular books that you would find. Talladega has, you know, does the textbooks and things of, of that nature for, for the colleges. Uh, this, the library and the resource center of there does. But there are things like the Game of Thrones has a beautiful map that is just phenomenal in the yeah. front of that book. And they, this blew me away when I got that and I put that on the shelf a, a while back. I actually had to stop and pull the book down and look at the maps because they had actually included the graphic tactile maps in that book for the different regions and the different areas in in that you know George R. Martin world that he created. Yeah, and that's that map was crazy. I mean, the the intro to that uh, series, I always because the map was always changing. You know, they always show like a certain portion of the map depending on what was going to happen in that episode. Every book in the series, that first volume would always have, you know, the map in each one. And it did. It varied all through the series. Yeah. <laughs> it makes um, me actually want to go pull the hard copy now and read it again. Just to <laughs> follow that and just look at that again. <laughs> Hopefully there's a better ending in the book than there was in the series. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've never heard of the tactile images before. And actually, I took a few classes at Arizona State University. It was one of the schools that I attended. And during my time there, I was um, employed at one of the uh, college offices where we would actually go through and transcribe those pictures. Um, so it would be, you know, I would have to go through and write a paragraph about what that picture uh, looked like. And we would often use, you know, the time, uh, you know, at 12 o'clock or one o'clock here and six o'clock here, um, kind of directional there and spatial, but I've never heard of the tactile image before. That's really cool. They're, they've had kind of played with it over the years. I know I've, I've been blind since birth, so I started reading Braille at five. And I was raised, I was mainstreamed in public school, had moved to Florida. And it was when growing up, they introduced tactile graphics to me then in social studies books and science books and things. And they were, they were fairly detailed, but they were kind of vague because the imaging just wasn't quite, you know, what it, what it has gotten to be now. And with as with everything else, digital technology and advancements have kind of helped improve on some of that. But they, I saw them then, but I, I'm not on the level that I, that I can experience now and go, wow, that's, that's actually very detailed. <laughs> Spot on there. Yeah, yeah. There was one thing that I didn't like about that process, um, and it was that each college campus had to have their own transcribers. So we were doing the work at Arizona State University. They might have the same book at the University of Texas or the University of Alabama. But if if there was a student at the University of Alabama or Texas that thought I could transcribe a book for them personally better than the transcriber that they were having, there was no way that they could follow my transcriptions. And so it wasn't, they weren't sharing, the universities weren't sharing resources as much as I thought. And I thought it was like overwork, um, Mm -hmm. duplicating work a lot. They have a standard now that they actually go for that is that can be duplicated across the board. And there's actually, like I said, Talladega is kind of the hub for textbooks and things of that nature. And there's also a, and I cannot remember the the, the letters and the acronyms of, of the name of the place, but there's a place in Georgia that does accessible textbooks. And it's the, for the, uh, the uh, national, I can't remember the standard, the standard that they go by, but it's NISO is are the, the letters for that. 
but it's a standard that they all follow now that they all can kind of duplicate. And if Alabama has it and they've done something, then everybody across the board is pretty much going to get that same description because they now they now have finally gotten to the point where they, they want to make sure it's, it's clear all the way across. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to jump back. Mrs. Hall, if you would talk about the age group and the uh, and of the population served, do you see most uh, individuals served at a younger age or where does that really fall for you guys? Well, here in Alabama, and certainly uh, the numbers could be different for each state, uh, but well, well, actually, let me share some of the uh, national figures with you. Uh, we have found that uh, the majority of our patrons are in an age group from 60, between 60 and 80. And we have a number of patrons who are even uh, between 80 and 100 years old. And uh, every day I, I am just so excited to find we have so many of our patrons who are celebrating those centennial birthdays. And so, uh, but for the most part, nationally, all across the country, our patrons range in age from about 60 uh, to 80 years old. And that's about the time when adults are experiencing for the first time something uh, or a condition like macular degeneration or maybe glaucoma. And so uh, for the most part, and we do a survey here at our library every two years, uh, we try and get a, a, uh, some um, statistics on the uh, demographics uh, that we are serving. And so for the most part, that is the age group uh, that pretty much uses our, our uh, particular service. Now, a lot of our younger students, they are introduced uh, to the service at school or even before that time, like Tim, by their parents. And so uh, they, they do know about our service. However, their schools, for the most part, might provide the material and they should provide the material that they need, especially if they need it there in the school setting. Uh, and uh, then we pick up where they leave off. Uh, but we have some students that we serve, but it's uh, not quite the uh, number of even Braille readers that we have. I think the last time we checked, we may have had less than 100 young people or children uh, who use mm -hmm. our service. And so for the most part, uh, we stick with the national standard. Our patrons are basically between the ages of 60 and 80. Mm. And, and if I think about that population, um, I would imagine that a lot of the intake comes from doctors, eye doctors um, saying, hey, I'm noticing this. Here's a pamphlet to, to get in touch with the Alabama libraries. Uh, and yes. you know, a lot of intake comes from that kind of operation there. That's absolutely true. But again, a number of other agencies around the state, uh, they are social workers, uh, they are vocational rehab therapists and vision therapists and hearing specialists. They also recommend individuals to our service. And so uh, we could not do this without our partners out there because they actually go into the homes of many of the individuals and they make their own assessments. And so beyond what the doctor might uh, make for them. And so they make their own assessments and they also direct a number of patrons our way. And every day our mailbox is filled with applications that are coming uh, from those agencies or through those agencies for individuals. And so they make a big difference in the population we're able to serve. Uh, thank you for shouting them out and giving them, uh, you know, acknowledgement. Uh, I would like to acknowledge the chat in that same tone. Uh, Clifton Hastings, who is behind me, says, good morning, everyone. Ryan Godfrey says, fascinating information about the digital Braille reader. And Dorothy Walton Baker says, the Alabama team does a great job. 
Oh, that's outstanding. That is so good to hear. Thanks to both of them. Thank you. Um, and I kind of want to open it up here. If you would talk about the types of different accommodations that somebody could receive through your program. All right. Well, uh, okay. basically, uh, we provide reading material in both audio and braille format. Now, we also uh, make available to our patrons uh, magazines uh, that can also uh, come to them through our service with the uh, National Library Service. Uh, so there are about 60 magazines that are available in the same format, either Braille or an audio format to our patrons. In addition to uh, the physical items that we can actually mail directly to our patrons, once they uh, become a part of our service, then they are also uh, able to apply for other services uh, that might benefit them in some way. Uh, the National Federation of the Blind, they have Newsline, which makes available uh, a number of newspapers and magazines from all across the country. And I think they also carry textbooks to some extent. Uh, there are also uh, subscription services such as Bookshare, uh, where mm -hmm. those textbooks that you mentioned, uh, their Bookshare is able to uh, produce a number of textbooks that are available to individuals from all over the country. And Bookshare makes uh, their service free of charge to any individuals who are students. As long as they're in school somewhere, the service is free. And for uh, others who uh, are not in school but want to qualify for the service, well, they all already qualify because they get material from our organization. But if they want to pay for that service, such as Bookshare, it's a $50 uh, mm -hmm. per year cost. And for the kind of books they get, books, bestsellers that are right off the shelf, uh, they're available on Bookshare the exact same day that they're made available in bookstores. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that is a great way to connect to other resources like that. And there are many other resources that are provided through our service. Uh, also, our, our patrons have access to something called a currency reader. I didn't bring a, an example of that, Alex, <laughs> but I'm sure you're familiar with it already. Uh, but uh, for various uh, paper bill denominations, you can put it in this reader and it will tell you whether it's a five or 20 or a one. And that it really makes a big difference to a number of our patrons. And so as long as they are our patrons, we can get them signed up for the currency reader. If that is something they want, all they have to do is call us and ask about it. Now, Tim, I'm sure I'm leaving some things out. What other things can they qualify for? You've, you've covered pretty well um, a lot of things. One of the things that still comes to mind, of course, being as being a member of, of our service is our BARD Braille and Audio Reading Download Program. And it's it's the program that you can actually download all of the audiobooks and braille books and things of that nature that we offer physically. You can now download those online and on demand at any point in time. And so anybody that's wanting a book and that you roll over at two o'clock in the morning, you just finished that, that last Stuart Wood and you're just itching to read the next one and you, you just can't wait to call the library the next morning, you can actually download it onto either your phone or your tablet or the, like a tablet that I just showed you. Um, even supported on Kindle devices and other commercial players that are handheld players made by Humanware, which is another um, assistive technology company and some other ones that are out there. And you're able to, to be able to listen to those books and, and utilize that service. 
but it's it's available for those that have you know that have recently signed up to or have become a, a member of our of our patron group. Now is that now that's oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, and just let me say with the BART, the Braille and Audio Reading Download that individuals can just go to the BART website and access mm -hmm. those books once they're members of our service. They had to cut or, or have a limit of 100 books per month yeah. for people uh, because quite <laughs> often our patrons even reach that, that. Uh, you know, that mark. And so there has to be a cutoff at some point. Uh, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful to have services like that available uh, to our patrons. Patrons. And also, just the cross-referencing uh, that occurs when individuals call us, they need help with something, and the ability to refer them to other agencies uh, that can help provide uh, those items to them, uh, like a, a watch that will be able to help them with the time. Uh, the Department of Rehab Services, they provide that. And so we're able to direct patrons to those other agencies. So this is just a wonderful arena uh, to be in. Um, I have a few things uh, to add there. Um, what is, how do you spell BARD? And we can go ahead and put that website in our chat sure. so anybody watching could just have a click on it, you know, quite easily. Sure. It is yes. BARD, B-A-R-D. Uh, what would I type in a search to find out that link? Would it just be BARD? Um, you would go to, uh, I'm trying to remember that. I just drew a blank on the nlsbard.loc.gov. And that will bring you to the main page that will let you fill out an application. In order to be a BARD member, not only do you have to fill out a, an application for services with us, there's a brief online application that you have to fill out once you're a member that we, that we look at and accept and get you enrolled. And then you can actually start to download those, those books, as like Angela said, up to 100 titles per month. After that, you have to wait for the next month or you know you they've got to fall off there <laughs> but uh you're able to download those uh to your device at any any point in time but after you fill out that application with your email and and your your general information that type of thing gotcha and then um on the currency reader we actually had the opportunity to do a broadcast with uh, matthew haynes and jane bush of oasis at adrs um, just last week, and uh, they did have the currency reader on hand, and so we got to see that. Um, and and even things that I wouldn't even think about, but telling the difference between coins and yeah. the, the slotted edges uh, on the difference in the coins, and, and helping you delineate that currency. Uh, you see, they have information we don't have. We're not the experts right. there, but Jane and Matthew, they are wonderful partners uh, to be on this journey with, and we often refer a number of our patrons to Oasis. Um, there was one more comment here I want to share. Um, Adelia Ballou says, uh, hi, Alex. Thank you for posting this. I will go back and watch this after my class on Thursday morning. I'm already using the talking book library with APLS. Yay, so, I recognize right. that name. Awesome. And Very believe, good. Very yeah, good. I believe she's here in Birmingham. Um, so uh, what this is kind of off the cuff, but what content, what type of content is most highly requested? Is it new, uh, you know, bestsellers or is it kind of older classics or what do you guys see there? It depends for me and Angela, I'll let you jump in on this too, but for me, it depends on the individual. So you've got, you know, different folks that are looking for things 
for a while, people will get focused on classics. And so they can't get enough of Hemingway and, you know, and, and all the other classic things that are out there. And then, of course, then you'll stumble across a group that wants nothing but romance and your Nora Roberts and your Daniel Steele and that type of thing. And then, of course, then within that given week, it may fluctuate and somebody's looking for, you know, that Terry Brooks, you know, the Terry Brooks fantasy series or the Harry Potter series all over again. So it's, they're everywhere and, and, and every, wanting to get as much as they possibly can. So it's, it, it varies from time to time. It does. Know around Halloween, I'm sorry. I was going to oh. say one more, one more thing. Around Halloween, it's always, what have you got that's scary? The night before Christmas, Christmas book? Right. Yep. And then what's on for Christmas? What have you got that's holidays, warm and cozy? And then we just kind of kind of can go from there. I only wanted to add, Alex, that James Patterson continues to be our number one author. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> regardless. Yes. Uh, yes, James regardless Patterson and William Johnstone. <laughs> And uh, we also, uh, some of the uh, streaming services that are out there that are running a variety of uh, specials or, or TV shows, uh, Anne of Green Gables, for example, is one I think right now that we're getting a run on. Uh, people want every book in that particular series. And there are so many others uh, similar to that. Uh, but uh, the mysteries, the Westerns, I mean, men and women both, they love Westerns. And so the older Westerns are the ones that have the more meat to them, as they say. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of our patrons uh, like some of the older authors, as Tim mentioned, authors who've been around for a long time, and maybe even authors who are deceased now, uh, but their books are still just as entertaining as they ever mm -hmm. were. Uh, but James Patterson continues to lead the uh, list on the best uh, or the uh, most read author. Uh, throughout our country. Well, heck, he should sponsor or donate to the, the cause. I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So we might just ask him, you never know. Yeah, heck yeah. Hey, come do, um, come do a spot for us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, shed some light. Send out a tweet. Um, <laughs> now, I did see that the uh, uh, National Library Service has about 87,000 books in catalog. Does that sound about right? Well, that, that could be a number locally uh, for us uh, because each library has their own mm -hmm. uh, collection as well. Uh, but through the uh, National Library Service, there might be about 280,000 titles oh, or wow. records yeah. that are available out there. Now, uh, we do not have access to every book that's ever been published. However, we do have a, a wonderful collection and a wealth of books uh, that are popular among readers. And uh, so of that number, about uh, 210,000 uh, might be uh, audiobooks that are available. And there are about 70,000 uh, that are actual Braille titles that were produced mm -hmm. as Braille volumes. And so uh, that's a, a wonderful number of books. Historically, it's taken our books about three to four months after they are released uh, to be available through the National Library Service uh, because this service actually brings in narrators for the books. 
And so uh, that process takes time. Uh, but right now we're finding a number of uh, publishing companies uh, that are sending the files directly, the digital files directly to NLS. So our patrons have access to the books maybe within a, a week or two after that book being published. Uh, mm -hmm. Currently, uh, former President Barack Obama, he has a book, uh, a Promised Land, I believe is the title. He is the narrator for that book. And sometimes uh, with the uh, publishers, they are able to get those files to us right away. And so within a week or two, that book was available to our patrons. That's amazing. Now, what would happen if somebody wanted um, access to either audio or braille of a book that wasn't available? Maybe it was a smaller book or didn't go through a major publisher. What would that look like? What, what would that process be like? Well, uh, would, Tim, sorry, go ahead. Tim, you want to go ahead, Tim? You go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, typically if uh, a book is not available in our, our service, then we uh, do uh, a number of searches. Uh, we even do online searches before we respond back to our patrons. If a book is not available in our service at all, we let them know that possibly Amazon has this book as an audio or audible if you want to uh, actually purchase it. Or there's a service out there like Bookshare uh, that is could possibly make the book available if you uh, want to uh, subscribe to that service. Uh, but we always try and give our patrons options. Sometimes we just simply cannot find a book. And then sometimes we also send requests on behalf of our patrons to the National Library Service for books that might actually qualify or be considered uh, for recording. Uh, so that they can be made available uh, to a national audience. And so that's always a possibility. So the, oh, go ahead, Tim, is there anything you'd like to add there? Well, I was just gonna say there with adding, um, with folks sending in requests, a lot of times they'll send in a request and we can send it to the collections, the, uh, collections department at NLS and they will, you know, they'll, they'll either research it if it's available in another medium or from another format and they can get it, then they get it pretty, pretty quickly. Otherwise there's a waiting list that they put things on and, you know, it goes through, through an evaluation type thing and you may eventually see it, but again, it may take some time, but it, it's never an overnight thing, but they're always very open, you know, in, in, through NLS to, to us as librarians adding suggestions that we get from patrons about new books and things. So there is a process there then. That's something that's not new. Um, <clears throat> if something's not available, there's a process to go through and hopefully it will become yes, available. Yes. And a lot of times too, like Angela said, we send other folks to, you know, to other resources that may have it if they want it more rapidly than say waiting for NLS to produce it. And, you know, there are those that they don't mind going out after it. And then there are those that, well, I'll just wait for you guys to get it because it's yeah. just much easier. So. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, uh, we're getting, uh, we're kind of wrapping it up here in the next uh, few minutes, five to 10 minutes. So I'd like to encourage chat. If there's any questions that you have for our guests today, um, please put it in the chat and I will go ahead and, and ask. We have the experts on screen. So let's, let's hammer down and get those answers. <laughs> um, I want to take a little bit of a step back. Where do you guys see um, this trend or this um, industry going, or what do you wish if you had a magic wand, um, you could magically make, uh, you know, appear in this industry. 
All right, I'm going to let Tim answer that because recently he's been added to a committee, uh, a national committee uh, that actually takes a look at technology and uh, from a reader advisor capacity and so or advantage. And so I'm going to let Tim answer that question. Okay, I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> and being the the technology nerd that I am, that's that's kind of you know that's kind of the bend that everything is taking now that I notice, especially being a part of the committee that, I, that I'm a part of there. It's a user group comprised of different uh, folks throughout the library, the library service staff members, patrons, and, you know, people who work with this technology. And one of the big things that I see, not only is the digital braille displays and things, that's, that's a big issue coming, coming over the horizon, but things that are, that work with smart speakers. You're gonna see a lot more of that, I think, coming out in the future. Um, everybody loves their Miss A devices and their Google devices and their everything else. And you're gonna see a lot of things kind of go in that direction here, here really, really soon. Um, and one of the things that, that I'm noticing too is also the, the beginning of the introduction of the cloud, uh, one, one of the updates that we recently were, have, have been discussing and everybody uh, that's a BARD member is pretty much aware of, uh, BARD will be eventually going to the cloud, which will mean for faster downloads and a lot easier and whatnot. And that's one of the things everybody's kind of getting geared up for is to see all of that available in, in, a, in a faster, more efficient service so that the the future is very technologically full, I should say, because you know we we, we went from the cassettes, and I've watched everything from cassettes morph into the digital cartridges and the players, and now everything's online, and everybody's interested in seeing it done with your with your assistants, you know, your Alexas, Googles, and everything, and they're really focused on they want that that portability and that flexibility in, in those devices. Um, they figure, hey, if Amazon can do it, we, we need to be able to have our stuff there too. So, <laughs> I think that's amazing. Technology is kind of going through the roof and it makes me think, you know, if you took that out um, to 15, 20 years from now, are we going to have like haptic feedback chairs when we're watching a movie? Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting to look at because it's leveled the accessibility playing field for a lot of people, you know, and now the people that people that it used to just, you know, were sort of made for, you know, it also helps the mainstream. So it's a universal accessibility thing, I think, you know, is, is sort of feeding that trend. And I think that's kind of where we're going is, is more of a universal type, you know, accessibility type arena there. And as I said before, I think one of the, the coolest things about this is the technology gets made and then it benefits yeah. everybody. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that gives a better understanding for the people that it was made to serve in the, at the first point. Right, right. So it you comes know, back it, together. It really does. It kind of comes back full circle. And then you're like, wow, I never thought of that. So it's, it's really different. Um, now, I noticed that you guys have some volunteering opportunities. Is there anything coming up or if you could tell us a little bit about that? Well, right now, uh, due to COVID, uh, we do not have volunteers in our building with us. 
However, uh, once all of this uh, passes and we can reopen to the public and bring our volunteers back, we always need assistance of various kinds uh, for uh, and things that volunteers can do uh, with us. Uh, we have uh, equipment that needs to be cleaned and then refurbished uh, when it's sent back to us uh, by our patrons. We're always looking for someone to help us clean cartridges and cases. Uh, that's the, sort of the, the, the grunt of what we do. Uh, but in order to recycle uh, material and equipment on a regular basis, uh, we have to be able to do that. And without our volunteers, we simply uh, have to take staff time uh, to make all of that uh, available so that we can have it ready for the next person who needs it. And so those kind of volunteer opportunities always come along. In some of our other national libraries across the state, or network libraries rather, they have volunteers who actually come in and record books for them. Now, we do not have that anymore, although at one time here in uh, Montgomery, uh, we may have had three or four recording booths at one time. So we don't have that uh, available anymore, uh, but uh, we're thinking of uh, bringing uh, maybe something along those lines back uh, into play. And so that's down the road for but for right now, uh, volunteers can help us in a number of ways of restocking shelves, but also um, what we call weeding in libraries or excess uh, on the National Library Service level, uh, removing older titles that won't be used anymore from the shelf and then sending those out to be recycled. And so we do that not only with the uh, Braille titles that we have, but also with the audio books that are available. And so uh, we, we need a lot of help and I'll be happy when we can reopen uh, cautiously, of course, uh, but bring people in safely in such a way that everybody is safe and that uh, this will be a good environment for them to work in again. But at one point we had about 10 regular volunteers that were here with us. That's nice to have. It is, it is and it really does help us in significant ways. Yeah, and I imagine it's a great opportunity to volunteer and give back to the community if you have a connection um, to the community or you're interested in the library system, if you're a high school or in college or, you know, and you're looking uh -huh. to learn more about that or, you know, anytime after that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, library is a great training ground uh, for individuals who not only want to eventually work with the public, uh, but also for students who might consider careers in libraries. Uh, but this is a wonderful way to learn about, uh, learn about a collection, uh, to learn about uh, uh, various things that patrons are reading, and to actually uh, make contact one-on-one -on -one with patrons who need material and have questions uh, to just learn how to fill those kinds of uh, questions and get answers for people and do research uh, when you can't find the answer very easily. So mm. libraries are great places. Um, yeah, if you don't have a library card, you need to get one. <laughs> Yeah. You really do. Uh, libraries open up worlds of uh, information and entertainment and, and, and on so many levels. I'll tell you what, if you're going to your Amazon bill and it's through the roof and you see a bunch of books on there, go get you a, a library card. That'll help you fix that real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, are there any upcoming events, in, uh, upcoming events in the next year that you guys would like to highlight? 
Well, upcoming event, events rather uh, for us. Uh, well, uh, we uh, partner uh, once again, well, not necessarily partner, but we look forward to uh, working with agencies like the National Federation of the Blind of Alabama. Uh, they will have an upcoming meeting in March. And so individuals who want to attend or are members of the National Federation of the Blind, uh, they will have a virtual meeting in March. I think the dates are March uh, 4th through the 7th. And individuals can register online and attend those meetings. Uh, we will be there uh, to do a short brief presentation on what it's been like to provide a library service during a national or global pandemic, uh, what the challenges have been and how we've been able to rise above that and still provide service. As uh, one of our patrons called uh, who uh, receives books, of course, through the mail, uh, when we were initially out back in March, uh, she's in her message, she said, I'm not sure what this COVID has to do with me getting my books in the mail. But <laughs> at any rate, I still expect service. And so, and so uh, I'll be able to talk about uh, some of that. And so the National Federation of the Blind, that's one of our conferences that's coming up. The Alabama Council of the Blind, they will also have a meeting. I don't have the, I don't think the dates have been set for that just yet. And also on a national basis, we are part of the Southern region of libraries uh, that serve individuals who are blind. And uh, so our next uh, regional meeting uh, will be, well, it should have happened in 2021, but we've rescheduled that for 2023. However, in 2022, all of our network staff will be able to join the National Library Service for a national meeting. And that might be, uh, I think, in uh, Nevada. Where was that, Tim? Do I have that I right? Nevada. I think you have that right. Uh, I think it was Nevada. Well, yeah. Lincoln, no, Nebraska. No, Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska. That's right, so that's where we'll be going uh, for that. Mm -hmm. And I think it will be in 2022. And so yeah. we do have regional uh, meetings and national meetings uh, for this year. A lot of those meetings will be virtual. Uh, but we will uh, get with uh, Ryan Godfrey, uh, who uh, contacts us on, our, on a regular basis. Uh, we'll get with him to make sure uh, we uh, get out any information about meetings that the public is invited to attend so they can join us there as well. And we'll go ahead and put some links in the chat to uh, some of those organizations that you just went over. Uh, so they're a little bit more easily accessible there. Um, oh, now, as we kind of come to a close here, I would like to ask each of you, um, if there's somebody that's thinking about maybe applying for services or going through the qualification process with you, um, what is something that you would like to say to them or somebody that may receive these services in the future? Well, basically, Alex, I'd like to start by saying this is a free service. We can't emphasize that enough. Uh, what we provide is a free service. Uh, the individuals who apply for this service, they can call us. Our number is 334-213-3906. They can call us here in Montgomery. Again, we divide up our service regions uh, based on the county that individuals live in. And so if they want to start here with us, if they actually live in one of the counties served by our Talladega Sub-Regional Library, we will refer them there. But they can always start with us to get basic information. If they want an application, uh, they can receive that either online by going to our APLS website 
and that website is statelibrary.alabama.gov. They can go directly to that website and click on the link for the Library for the Blind. And we will have links there to access not only an online application that can be completed uh, online and then uh, sent to us, or uh, we can mail material directly to them. Uh, we also have a catalog available on that website. Uh, so if individuals want to get an idea about what kind of audio and braille titles are available, they can start there by going to our website for more information. Uh, so uh, that's a great way to start. Again, statelibrary.alabama.gov. If they go to that website, that'll unlock uh, all the information they need uh, about our service and how to get access to it. Awesome, and Tim. Yes, I was trying to think. Angela pretty much covered all of all of what needed to be done. Um, one one thing that I might add is, if you're interested in Bard, I think now the application allows for. Uh, you to be able to show that you you're interested in applying for BARD as well and there is a brief small application that you would fill out for that uh, if we mail you information or if we you know if we send you material or that application is found online uh, they're on the page or you can actually go to the BARD website itself uh, nlsbard.loc.gov and fill out that brief application and then we can get you set up and you're you're set for books. So it's, it's very simple. And like Angela said, the best word about everything is the fact that it's free. There's, there's, no, there's no monthly premium subscription, it's all free. So it makes it even better. And also just to piggyback on what Tim has said, if our patrons already have access to our service and then they want access to BART, all they really have to do is even call us. They don't even have to fill out that second application on their own. They can always call us and we'll be happy to get them signed up that way. Call as well. us, give us, give us an email address, um, email address and then we take it from there and can get you going. And it's a matter of just minutes and you're, you're in reading heaven. Oh, yes. I would say to anybody thinking about getting this service, don't feel bogged down. Uh, the staff here is very welcoming, uh, very warm, and just give them a call. You know, maybe check out a few of the websites, see what you're interested in, um, and get it started. Don't hesitate. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Uh, this has really been a great resource uh, for us and a great opportunity yeah. to get the word out about what we do. So thank you so much. Yeah, and, and we'd like to say on behalf of the community, thank you, Mrs. Hall and Mr. Eamons, uh, for being here with us. Um, and at this point, I will go ahead and, and, and end the broadcast. If you guys would just like to give a, a wave to the to your cameras there. Bye, Can't everybody. The camera. I'm just waving in the general direction. Hey, <laughs> y'all. All right, y'all have a great uh, rest of your day. Yep, All right, thank, thank you so you. much. All right, bye.